Hi, this is Gary Washburn, pastor of Grace Tabernacle. Thank you for tuning to our podcast today. Our hope is that this message inspires you and builds your faith. For more information about Grace Tabernacle and our ministries, please go to gracetab.org and like us on Facebook. Now, may the message feed your soul. you, Lord. There's none beside you, none above you, none like you, Lord. We open our hearts up to the expectations of your spirit, Lord. We open our hearts up to the the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, the one who's from everlasting to everlasting God, the one who knows the end from the beginning, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. Lord, we thank you and we praise you that your presence is in this place because your people are here. You're not that attracted to buildings, but you're attracted to human hearts. And you're not interested in cathedrals, but you're interested in hearts that are submitted and seeking. And so, Lord, wherever your people are, that's where you're going to be. That's what your concern is. That's what your interest is. So, Lord, we just praise you that it's not the houses that men build, that you dwell in, but it's the house that you built in us, that you've made us your habitation, that you've made us your dwelling place, that you've made us the temple of the Holy Spirit, that you've made us the branch to the life of your vine, that you've made us the treasure chest to hold the treasure of your life, though we're earthen vessels. Thank you, Lord, that you dwell in us. And because you dwell in us, Lord, there's nothing that's impossible to you Lots that's impossible to us, but nothing that's impossible to you. So, Lord, we just thank you that in this place, in this moment, in your presence, we have absolute confidence in who you are and what you can do. And we want to open our hearts, Lord, wherever there's been hesitation, wherever there's been doubt, wherever there's been fear, wherever there's been unbelief. Lord, wherever we've operated outside of trust and confidence, Lord, wherever we are in a place of hesitation in relationship to you, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't be like Israel. It stood a distance while Moses went into the thick darkness where God was, but that we would just say, we want to go in. We want to go into the place where Christ lives. We want to go into the place of the Spirit. We want to walk in the Spirit. We want to move in the Spirit. We want our roots to go down deep into Jesus Christ. We want to grow up into Christ. And we want to cooperate with Christ being formed in us. So, Lord, we just thank you, we praise you, we glorify you, and our hearts are expectant because of who you are. We just look to you today. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Amen. Okay, you already sat down on me. Well, good. Well, praise the Lord. Good to be in the house of the Lord today. And... um, I want to just jump right into the Word. I want to tell you, if you happen to have your Bible with you and you want to turn to Numbers uh, chapter 9, that's where I'm going to end up here in a few minutes. But in getting to that place, I'm going to read some scriptures and look at several different things. Last week, um, I, I began a message. How many of you are here this week that weren't here last week? Oh, not too many, but good. Welcome. Give them a hand of welcome. Amen. <laughs> So last week I put out a proposition, which is kind of the primary and focused goal of my life and ministry and teaching, which is that there are two paradigms for how to live the Christian life. Paradigm number one is Jesus died for me. He did his part. Now it's my turn. I'm going to live for him. Sounds rational. Sounds like the proposition that we were offered. Jesus did his part. Now it's up to us to do our part. I say it to those of you that have heard me say it multiple times because I've learned that you can hear me say it many times before you actually hear it or get it. But I want to say that proposition number one, which is that Jesus died for me, he did his part, now my part is to go and live for him, is not the proposition that God offered to us. The proposition God offered to us is that he died for us so that he could live through us that's why the bible says in galatians chapter 2 verse 20 i'm crucified with christ nevertheless i live yet not i but christ lives in me 
and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's why it says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, for it is God who is at work within us, both to will and to do, according to his good pleasure. That's why the Bible says, Jesus speaking in John chapter 15, I'm the vine, you're the branch. If you abide in me, my word abides in you, you'll bear fruit. Then my father, who's a husband, will come and trim you back so that you'll bear more fruit. And then he'll trim you back again so that you'll bear much fruit and show yourself to be my disciples. And then he said in verse 5, because apart from me, you can do nothing. These are scriptures we've known all of our life. But what I find is that we often have never really put them into proper perspective. You know, the Bible talks about rightly dividing the word of God. To rightly divide, it means to cut a straight line. But if I cut a line that goes like this, then I'm going back and forth between an old covenant and a new covenant. I'm going back between works of the law or the acts of faith of the Spirit. And when I do that, if I go back and forth and back and forth, I create a kind of spiritual schizophrenia where I think that on one hand, I'm supposed to do this. On the other hand, I can't do this. On the other hand, I am required to do it. On the other hand, only Christ can do it through me. On the other hand, God demands it of me. On the other hand, only Jesus is my hope of glory that I can do it. And I live in this kind of netherworld in between two concepts. But I want to cut a straight line for you. The Old Testament has one goal. It's to show you what you can't do and drive you to the cross where Jesus would die on the cross, forgive you for your sin, and he would do a work for you, not so that you could then go and do a work for him based on Old Testament law. He did a work for you so that he could then qualify you, so that he could come live inside of you, so that he could then work in you, live in you, manifest, reveal his life through you. He could graft you into the vine of his life. His life could flow up from the vine into the branch, and then he could produce a fruit that would be born in your life, and everyone would know, as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that you are an earthen vessel into which a treasure has been placed, and it's so obvious that what's coming out of you could not be coming from you that they will glorify your father who's in heaven they will acknowledge that this power they see is not of you but of God by the way I'm not talking about just the power to raise the dead and heal the sick I'm talking about the power to love your wife as Christ loved the church I'm talking about the power to not exasperate your children I'm talking about the power to uh to keep your patience in an impatient situation. I'm talking about the power to love the unloving, to forgive the inexcusable. I'm talking about a power that actually causes what you read in here to become more than just an ideal that is completely impractical and actually fully unreasonable because nobody can do it, to it becoming an actualization something that you watch happening in your life because you've learned that it's not going to ever, 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 ever come from you. It's only going to come through you from him. And when you resign from the task of trying to produce this life and instead open your heart to the invitation to allow him to produce this life through you, you move from failure to success. You move from futility to opportunity, you move from impossibility to miraculous living. Because Jesus can do stuff through you, you're never, ever, ever, ever going to do for him. And by the way, he's not just interested in the big stuff. He's interested in every single solitary detail of every day, of every moment of your life. He wants to live through you. Matter of fact, that's why you were created. You were created to be a place in which his spirit would dwell. That's why when God created the heavens and the earth, he made plants and they have a body. They don't have a soul. They don't have a spirit. When he made animals, they have a body and they have a soul. Mind, will, and emotions. If you've ever had a dog, you know. They got mind, they got will, they got emotions, they got passions, they got appetites, right? That's, that's the soul, the body and the, and the soul. But he didn't give them a spirit. But when he created man, he said, let's create man in our image and after our likeness. Well, what is the image and likeness of the Lord? Well, the Bible tells us in John chapter 4, when Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and he said, the, he, she said, do you worship down here, or do you worship in Jerusalem, or up on the mountain? Where do you worship? He said, the time is coming, and now is, when those who worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and in truth, because God is spirit. 
And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So if God created man in his image and after his likeness, he created man with a human spirit. And his intention was to create man with a human spirit so that then he would have, as God being a spirit, a place to come and indwell man and then become the power and resource and access and ad, uh, activate his life in us. That's why he showed them two trees in the garden. One is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You eat from it, you're going to die. But here's another one I'd like to point out to you called the tree of life, which if you eat from it, you live forever. Well, who has the capacity to live forever? Only God. He's the only one ever has, only one ever can, only one ever will. The only chance I'm going to live forever is I somehow get connected to him. He can't give me, as I said last week, eternal life like this. There's your version wrapped up. The only way he can give me eternal life is to plug his life into me and me into him. That's the only way it can happen. Because he's the only one that has eternal life. Eternal life isn't from here forward. It's from here backward too. It goes everywhere. What I got to do is get into the stream of that by getting connected into him by being a branch in the vine of his life. And so he created me with the capacity to be plugged into him and him into me. And that's what was always his intention. But man chose knowledge of good and evil over the tree of life. He decided I'd rather know good and evil than have the power within me to do good and not evil. Because with the knowledge, I get power. With the knowledge, I can decide for myself. With the knowledge, I can, as Adam, as Adam was told by Satan, be my own God. Don't need him to tell me what to do. I'll have my own knowledge base. I'll have my own data. I'll have my own perspectives. I'll have my own opinions. I can evaluate everything on my own. But the problem with, again, we've said it before, but I can't tell you how important it is to reiterate it until you start getting it, is that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the problem with knowledge is knowledge does not come along with it, uh, a, a dynamic to actually do something. Knowledge tells you what to do and what not to do, but knowledge gives you no power to choose to do good or choose to do It just tells you, what, you where you are. It's like a compass. A compass doesn't get you anywhere. It just tells you where you are. Well, that's what the tree of knowledge of good and evil did. It can tell you where you are, but it can't help you get anywhere. Amen. And that's what knowledge is without life. That's why when Jesus came, he didn't say, I'm come that you might have some more information. He didn't say, I've come to teach a new theological perspective. He didn't say, I've come to offer you a couple of new doctrines that were left out. What Jesus said is, I'm come that you might have life. Why? Because you didn't have it. In the Garden of Eden, man died. How did he die? He didn't die physically. He didn't die intellectually, didn't die willfully, didn't die emotionally. How did he die? On the day that you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. Not someday you will die. On the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. So how did they die? They died spiritually. They were body, they were soul, they were spirit, but their spirit died. And they were cast out of the presence of God. And they went out into the world with a, a highly developed intellect, with a highly developed emotion, with a highly developed will, with passions and appetites and all the other things, but spiritually without hope and without God in the world. Cut off, alienated, Paul says in Ephesians, from the life of God. So they had all the, they had all the information necessary to do what? To basically try their very best to do something that they could not do because they didn't have a dynamic or power within them to bring it off. So we become adept at looking like it. We become adept at appearances. We become adept at, at uh, you know, faking it. That's what knowledge gives you. And we have developed a, a gospel of information rather than a gospel of transformation because information does not transform. Information informs you as to what needs to change. But only the life of Christ in you can actually bring about the change that you see in the information that is not operative in your life and that you can't produce and you can't make happen. Any more than a branch can produce fruit apart from the vine. It can do it. It has the capacity to bear fruit, but not the ability without connection to the life. That's why Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life. I've come to give you life. I've come to give you life. In him was life, John chapter 1, verse 4. In him was life. And that life is the light of men. That's what he came to put inside of you. That's why the Bible calls it the mystery that's been hidden since before the foundations of the earth, but has now been revealed, which is 
Colossians chapter one, verse 27. Christ in you is the hope of glory. The only hope that any glory is ever gonna be manifest, ever be revealed, ever be expressed, ever be shown in your life is that Christ is in you. And it's his glory that's going to be revealed. What is the hope of glory? What is glory? Well, the Bible tells us what glory is. The beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, John chapter one. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and, and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Glory is not a thing. It's not a substance. It's not a force. Glory is a person. That's why Christ in me, if we beheld his glory, Christ was, as it says in Hebrews chapter 1, the exact expression of the glory of God and the perfect outshining of his nature. If he's in me, then what's the glory? The glory is his life being expressed through me. It's his light being expressed through me. It's his power being shown in me. And when I understand that, it completely transforms my whole understanding of the Christian life. Because most of us have been taught your main goal every year should be to rededicate, recommit, redevote yourself to being better, to working harder, to trying more, to act like Jesus. Amen, I am. <laughs> you see, that's, that's what we... We, you know, we go to, when I was a kid, you know, we went to conferences, we went to seminars, we went to retreats, we rededicated our rededications from last year's rededications of last year's recommitments. <laughs> but all we were doing really is recommitting ourselves to try harder to act like Jesus. Well, why in the world would I ever want to try and act like Jesus when Jesus, the living Son of God, the eternal Son of God, has taken up residence on the inside of me and is there for the express person of revealing and expressing his life through me? Why would I waste my time to act, trying to act like him? And why wouldn't I just get out of his way and let him act through me, let him work through me, let him love through me, let him be patient through me, let him be kind through me, let him be uh, wise through me? Why, don't, why, would I quit, why would I keep on trying to be wise when the Bible says that in him are hidden all the fountains of wisdom? And he's been made unto me wisdom. What I need to do is learn how to have a relationship with him. Not with just this. Jesus said it this way. He said, you search the scriptures because you think in them you find eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. But you won't come unto me that you might have life. I'd rather have your precepts because then I can, I can go on my own. I'd rather have the tree of knowledge because then I can do it on my own. I can decide for myself what I'm going to do. But if I decide to connect myself to life... I'm now dependent. I'm dependent on him for guidance. I'm dependent upon him for wisdom. I'm dependent upon him for character. I'm dependent upon him for, to be able to resist. I'm dependent upon him to guide me, but not only to guide me, but to be the dynamic that actually pulls the guidance off and makes it a reality in my life. But you see, we don't like dependence. It's not our favorite word. Our favorite word is independence. We celebrate Independence Day. No holiday for Dependence Day. <laughs> but I tell you, I celebrate Dependence Day every day of my life. That's why Paul the Apostle said in Corinthians chapter 12, he said, you know, I asked the Lord to take something away from me three times, three times. I said, Lord, take this away, take this away, take this away. He said, no, my grace is sufficient for you because my strength is perfected in your weakness. And Paul said, now I boast of my weaknesses, of my infirmities, not sickness, infirmity, which means weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me because when I'm weak, then he's strong. Amen. That's called boasting and having an in, a dependence day instead of an independence day. Do you boast of your dependence? Now here's the thing is, if I'm going to try and actually pull this off, make this paradigm shift, if, if it's really something more than just a kind of novel idea, if it's really true from Genesis to Revelation, this was always God's plan and intention. Always his reason for creating you is that he would live in you and he would express his life through you, through the unique, one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-recreated instrumentality of your unique, one-of-a-kind, never-to-be-recreated humanity. If that's really the proposition, then how do I get on board? How do I get connected to this? Well, first of all, I need to realize that if I'm going to do this, I can't do this out of my flesh. I can't, I, I've got I've to resign from the belief that I can harness 
where I can somehow manage my flesh to act like Jesus. I need to just resign from that proposition entirely and just accept the fact. Accept it, accept it, accept it. Just look yourself in the mirror and say, Atkins, you can't live this life for Jesus. Not possible. Atkins, your flesh will never pull this off. Atkins, the only one who is surprised by this information is you, not God. <laughs> he knew this. He told you this. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I wonder what he meant by that. That's the disciples. The disciples I wonder what he meant by that. <laughs> but don't we do the same thing? He must have meant, uh, without my help, I'll help you. We think about a helper, what does a helper do? I'm doing the work, they're helping me do the work. I want to tell you, you don't need a helper. <laughs> you need somebody who will take over and do through you what you cannot do. As a matter of fact, the word helper, we say, well, he's going to send the helper. The word helper, paraclete, means someone who comes alongside and strengthens and gives capacity and ability. So he didn't just come to help, to encourage, to cheer, to observe. He came to do. For it is God, Philippians 2.13 again, that is at work. It is God who is at work within you, both to will and to do, according to his good pleasure. That's the invitation he offers to you. I tell people Christianity is both the easiest and the most demanding thing there is. Easiest because he's not asking you to do it, he's offering to do it through you. Most demanding because he's asking you to get flat dab completely and entirely out of his way. Amen. That's surrender. To let him have full sway. Why would I not operate this out of my flesh? Why wouldn't I try and get my flesh engaged? Well, John chapter 3, verse 6, Jesus said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Two different things. Yes. Romans 7, verse 18, he said, Paul speaking, I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I don't find. You see, you can't under overcome the law of sin in your life with will because sin is a law a law cannot be overcome by will if I took this Bible and I held it out here and I willed to hold it there for three days there's a law at work on this Bible immediately it's called the law of gravity and I can will with every bone in my body to hold that out there for three days but right now, I can feel the law of gravity working on it. I might could hold it all the way through the service. I could be pretty willful. But eventually, that law of sin is going to take over. And it's going to win every time. Eventually, it's going to win. There's only one way for a law to be defeated. It's not by willpower. It's by the introduction of a greater law. That's why the Bible says, for the law, Romans chapter 8, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets me free from the law of sin and death. You see, it's not me willing to defeat that law. It's me allowing the introduction of a greater law, which is the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in me, to rise up above that law. And what I can't do, he can do. What I can't control, he can control. He, what I don't know, he does know. What I don't have, he does have. All of those things come from him. That's why the Bible says that we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. But the flesh, he says, all the flesh is gra as grass, as the glory of man, as the flower of grass. Grass withers, the flower fails. The word of God endures forever. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 29, no flesh can glory in his presence. That's why it says in Galatians 5 17, the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you can't do what you want to do. In other words, they're not only different, they're opposite. So how can I live the spirit-filled life out of the flesh, out of my mind, my will, my emotions, my will, my passions, my appetites, my commitments? How can I produce that life? I can't. They're, they're in opposition to each other. That's why it says, we're the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3, 3 through 4, and I have no confidence in the flesh. Zero. Mike Atkins, I got no confidence in my flesh's capacity to act like Jesus at all, 
ever in any time, in any way. That's why it says in Romans 3.20, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. And in Romans 13.14, it says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Apparently, the flesh is not God's favorite thing. (laughs) Apparently, he doesn't have a lot of confidence in the flesh. So then what does it mean if I'm trying to let Christ live through me rather than me live for him, what's involved? Well, first of all, it can't come from my flesh, which is my mind. So I'm going to come up with a strategy for how to do this. My will, I'm going to determine to do it. My emotions, I'm going to want to do it really badly and choose to do it and passionately engage myself in. It's not going to come from that. Letting Christ live through you. How is it going to come? It's got to come from the Spirit. It's got to come from the Spirit. And all it can do is we have to come to that place where we realize, Lord, as it says in Isaiah chapter 55, Lord, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Higher than the heavens are above the earth are your thoughts than my thoughts, your ways than my ways. So I'm not going to figure this out by trying to just calculate just get an information base together and then going out in the power of my will to try and act like you. This is not how this is going to happen. The only way this is going to happen is I've got to go and what I see in here and I'm recognizing here as being truth, what I have to do is I say, Lord, thank you. You and I both know apart from you I can't do this. And I, I quickly admit that I'm infirm and that I'm weak and that I'm not capable and that in my flesh there dwells no good thing. I put no confidence in my flesh. My flesh doesn't boast in your presence. I have no thought at all that whatever I'm doing, heading this situation, working in this circumstance, dealing with this counseling appointment, whatever it is, I have absolutely no thought even for a moment that I have any capacity whatsoever to imitate and act like you in this situation. But what I do know is you're in here. And what I do know is that if I will yield to, surrender to, relinquish control to you, and and with deliberation acknowledge my incapacity, that when I acknowledge my weakness, that's when your strength starts to show up. When I get to the end of me, that's when I get to the beginning of you. So the quicker you get to the end of you, the quicker you get to the beginning of him. But see, a lot of you, you got a lot of you to get to the end of. Had a whole bunch of you. A whole bunch of you. Now, when I say that, I'm talking about your good stuff. I'm a really good guy. So we have this idea that there's good flesh and bad flesh. Good flesh is industrious and hardworking and thoughtful and caring and considerate and compassionate and active. Good flesh, bad flesh. Bad flesh is drunkenness and horrible attitudes. And, you know, so we... We applaud the good flesh. But my Bible says, Jesus speaking, in the red part of the Bible, that which is born of flesh is flesh. And no flesh can glory in God's presence. What that means is, listen to me, imagine this just for a second. Imagine that you came home one day, maybe you have another home, and you go home, and when you get home, you see that your entire yard has been landscaped. All kinds of flowers, trees, but nothing that you wanted, nothing that you like, nothing that you asked for. And not only that, but you have a bill that ha- the charge has charged you for everything that, you've, that you see. And you're, you're saying, what in the world is going on? They've ruined my home. They've taken... And you, then your neighbor comes over with a big smile on his face. Listen, while you were gone, I just got to thinking, these guys need some landscaping done at their house. I know they've got the money to do it. They probably just don't have the time. I'm just going to do it for them. I'm going to make all the arrangements. So tell me how happy you are about that. I mean, really nice thing to do, right? Or let's say I give you $100 and I say, I want you to go down and buy me a Christmas tree. Uh, I want an eight-foot one. I've already picked it out and I've already tagged it and it's at this Christmas tree farm. And you come back with a rose bush and it's about this tall. And it's all cut back and ugly. There's no flowers on it. And you said, I got to thinking, I just felt like this is a better investment for you guys. <laughs> you know, Christmas tree, it dies, it's gone. This, you know, you can plant. Are you happy with my decision? Have I been, have I been blessed by your good work? Well, do you think it's, in, think about it with me, really. I'm just trying to be honest with you. Do you think it's only different with God? When we make up our mind what we're going to do for him that he didn't ask us to do? When we make up our mind, 
how we're going to do it, with whom we're going to do it, where we're going to do it, how long we're going to do it, how much energy we're going to put into it. And we charge it all to him. I did all this for God. Can you see that it's possible that good flesh is not that different than bad flesh? It's funny, actually, in Scripture, it's the people that were walking in good flesh that had the hardest time with Jesus. The prostitutes and the sinners, bad flesh, they were the first to fall at his feet. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were the ones calling for his crucifixion. But we don't like our good stuff to be not appreciated. But what I'm telling you is if you want to know your purpose in life, you have to understand what the intention was for which you were created. Because purpose is always determined by intention of the creator. That's why if you want to know what a violin's for, you find the person who made it. What did you make this for? If I want to know what you're for, you're for him. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You're to glorify God in your body, your soul, and your spirit, which are the Lord's. You weren't created to find your own path, to determine your own cause, to be the captain of your own fate. You weren't created to put together all of your prowess and intellectual brilliance and come up with a plan for what you were going to do with your life. You were created to be a container of his life. And by the way, the plan he had for you, if you compared it to the one you had for yourself, you'd look at the one you had for yourself and say, I can't believe I settled for this. He says, does that mean all of us are supposed to be preachers, teachers? God, no, please don't. We got enough of those anyway. Some of you are supposed to be doctors and lawyers and senators and congressmen and bankers and businessmen. But there's a difference when you're doing it for him and he's doing it through you. In priorities and determination, all these things. So I'm I'm drawing to a close. I really am. Are you okay? I want to just take you real quickly to this one passage. Let's go to this one passage here. And let's go into uh, this this place in numbers. So what does this look like on a on a daily basis. Here's a beautiful illustration. The Bible tells us in Corinthians that the Old Testament was written as an example for us. So we have the right to look at what the Old Testament says and view it not only just in historical terms, but in figurative and illustrative terms. So I want you to see what he says here. This is uh, Numbers. This is what it was like in the Old Testament when God was living in a temple, in a tabernacle, and not in the hearts of people. And he wasn't ever visited except by the high priest only one day a year on the Day of Atonement, but he dwelt in the midst of Israel. This is the relationship God had with his people. If it was that then, I think it's going to be deeper than that now since we've become the temple of the Holy Spirit and he lives in here. Look at this real quick. Verse 15, now on the day that the tabernacle, this is Numbers 9, verse 15, on the day the tabernacle was raised up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony from evening to morning. It was above the tabernacle like the appearance of fire. So it was always the cloud covered it by day, the appearance of fire by night. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, after that the children of Israel would journey, in the place where the cloud settled, there the children of Israel would pitch their tents. At the command of the Lord, the children of Israel would journey. At the command of the Lord, they would camp. As long as the cloud stayed above the tabernacle, they remained encamped. Even when the cloud continued long, many days above the tabernacle, the children of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not journey. So it was when the cloud was above the tabernacle a few days, according to the command of the Lord, they would remain encamped, and according to the command of the Lord, they would journey. So it was when the cloud remained only from evening until morning. That's one day. When the cloud was taken up in the morning, they would journey, whether by day, if the cloud got up in the the day, or whether the cloud moved at night. Whenever the cloud was taken up, they would journey. Whether it was for two days, for a month, or a year that the cloud remained above the tabernacle. The children of Israel would remain encamped and not journey. But when it was taken up, they would journey. At the command of the Lord, they remained encamped. At the command of the Lord, they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by the hand of Moses. You see, the cloud was the presence. And the cloud was the presence of God to which the people of God were surrendered and yielded. And so the cloud was where the protection of God was. The cloud was where the provision of God was. The cloud was where the purpose for the people of God was. So the only thing they ever wanted to do is be where the cloud was. 
where the presence was. The cloud was in charge. The presence of God was in charge of where they went, when they went, how long they went, when they left, how long they stayed. Everything was up to the presence of the Lord to determine. What that meant is when the cloud moved, the children of Israel moved. And when the cloud stopped, the children of Israel stopped. Do you? Where the cloud moved, the children of Israel moved. Where the cloud stopped, they stopped. Do you? As long as the cloud remained, the children of Israel remained. When the cloud moved again, they moved again. Do you? By day or by night, if the cloud moved, the children of Israel moved. And said, this is inconvenient. Let's do this tomorrow. I just set up the tent yesterday. Last place we were at, we were there for a year. You tell me, we, I, I, had, I set up our tent for another year. And we're out of here now, tomorrow? What is that? I imagine there were some times that people got tired of it. They say, just go on. This is great. I'm right here. Then they got up the next morning and go to gather manna. There was no manna because the manna was under the perimeter of the cloud. They went to go some water. There was no water because the water came out of the rock. And it followed Israel. When the enemies came, the enemies weren't turned back because it was the presence of God. Pillar by night of fire, a pillar of cloud by day. They kept the sun's heat off of them. Everything came out of the presence of the Lord and the people of God knew that and God wasn't even living inside of them by his spirit. He was living in the midst of them in the tabernacle. What did it mean? It meant a couple of things. Number one, it meant they had to keep their eyes on the cloud. Because you see, Jesus said it this way. He said, the wind blows from east, goes back to the west. Nobody knows where it's coming from and nobody knows where it's going. And then he added this. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know where they're going. <laughs> Why? Because they've got their eyes on the cloud. He actually, I think, enjoys keeping us in that position of having to keep our eye on the cloud. Sometimes he moved at night. I guess they had some guards out or something. They started waking people up. Get up, get up. Cloud's moving, cloud's moving. What? I'm sound asleep, man. What in the world? Somebody go talk to God about this. <laughs> they had to keep their eyes on the cloud. They had to keep their belongings ready to go. You know, we get so weighed down. We got so much. God starts to move. We say, Lord, I can't lift all this stuff and get with you. I'll have to catch up in a few days. A few days, he's somewhere else. What am I saying? I'm saying that the weight of stuff that we carry, that, we ha that has to be, that ties us. Patty and I decided years ago to live debt-free simply because I wanted to be able to move from a 1,500-member church, which I once did, to a 30-member church. Because I didn't want to be in, tied to such a place that I had to say, I can't go where God's calling me to go because you can't pay me what my debts require me to make. Amen. Amen. Number three, they couldn't get attached to a circumstance. Wow, you know, this, now this mountain, this is really pretty here. Isn't this nice? I mean, we were in the, out there in the desert. There's just nothing there for a long time out in the plains. But man, I'm, I'm a mountain boy. I really like these mountains. And look, we got some trees over here. Here's a nice little cavern we can get out of the sun. You know, let's, I think we ought to just stay here. All of a sudden, the cloud's moving. And you don't know where it's going. They were not there to settle, but to journey. Here's a key thing. God didn't bring them out of Egypt for them to pursue their own interests. He didn't rescue them from slavery and bondage in order to set them free to the bondage of their own flesh. They were a people created for the purpose of God to fulfill his purpose. And their purpose was non-existent apart from him. Same with you. And their purpose was to be his people and follow his leading. 
They didn't chart their own course or path or plan their own way. They didn't get out a map, get a committee together and say, you know, I was looking at this and it just seems to me like this route through these woods would be a whole lot easier than going around that direction. I think we ought to, I think we ought to you know, we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with the pillar when we get there. I'm sure he'll find us. <clears throat> Christian life is not about self-realization or self-actualization. The Christian life is and has always been and will always be simply about us becoming available to him to be the instruments through which the breath of his life expresses and reveals himself. And that's the only reason that we really make sense. If you wonder why, you have a hard time sometimes figuring out why you're here. By the way, God has never been all that impressed with big stuff. Man is enormously impressed with big stuff. But Jesus only spent about 1,200 days in public ministry. Only about 1,200 days. He was only on the earth for 33. 30 of those are largely silent except for a small period when he was 12 years of age, about a three-day period. The rest we really know nothing about. In those 1,200 days, he spent one entire day with a woman who had had five lovers who weren't her husband. He spent one one whole day with her. And today, 2,000 years later, I'm talking about her. Will they be talking about stuff you did or I did 2,000 years from now? You see, what we think is big is not big in God's sight. What we think is small can be eternal in God's sight. So if we're going to enter into living by the Spirit, we've got to recalibrate everything. Now, the good news is it needs recalibration, and we know it. Aren't you tired? (laughs) of living in the flesh, trying to man up and pull this off and act the part. and Aren't you tired of wax fruit and pretending? Wouldn't it be great if you could just walk up in a group of people and just say, you know what, I'm nothing, but he's everything. I'm no one, but he's all things. You don't even need to know about who I've been or what I am because none of that stuff was anything but in God's way. I'd rather tell you, As Paul said, I will dare not speak of any of those things which Christ did not do through me. Romans. So where does it all lead? It leads to this simple thought. If here in the Old Testament we see a picture of the entire nation of Israel so connected to the presence of God that they let God fight their battles, they let God provide their food, they let God shelter them from the sun and from the heat they let God guide them in every way they let God determine even who would go in what order they would go and which tribe would carry what thing and how they would pack it up and where they would unpack it and they'd let him move the entire encampment of Israel for one day and then pick up and move it again if he wanted to and they followed it and the Bible says the only thing they felt obligated to do in all of these things is at the command of the Lord they remained encamped. At the command of the Lord they journeyed. They kept the charge of the Lord. That was their calling. Here's the good news. God doesn't just want to give you direction. He wants to be the dynamic that actually empowers and does through you the thing he calls you to. That's what happened in Jericho. He said, you go there, you march around it seven times and shout. And the walls came tumbling down. You see, there's so much more God can do through us than we could ever do for him. Two paradigms. You're either going to live your life for Jesus or you're going to let Jesus live his life through you. Failure, success. (laughs) Number two, you're either going to live by the flesh, your wits, your ways, your strategies, your brilliance, your experience, your background, your will, none of which will profit anything in the end. Or you're going to learn how to live and live by the Spirit. Let him choose. Let him decide. Let him be in charge. Surrender to, yield to, and make yourself available for his life to be expressed through you. I believe that there are corporate clouds for how God moves a people. I believe there are individual clouds for how God moves us each individually. I believe there are family clouds (laughs) 
Because his presence now is not just corporate, it's in you and in me. Amen? I want you to close your eyes with me for just a moment. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you that you have this kind of intimate, personal, engaged, involved, connected, concerned commitment of concern and care for each, every single one and individual in this room right now. Lord, I thank you that when Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away, because if I don't go away, the Spirit can't come. What he was saying is, here I'm limited to this one human body. But when he comes, he's been with you, then he'll be in you. And the presence of the Spirit of the living God is in every heart that has opened itself up to him. If you've never done that, if you thought it was just all again about being part of a rotary club, where a lot of good people get together and do good things, then you miss the whole message of the gospel. It's about a life you don't have until you have him. It's a life that only he can give you. It's a life he is bending over the rails of heaven, yearning to bestow. All he asks you to do is ask. And then, once you have him, let him do what he came to do. Be himself in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to turn this uh, time over to Pastor Gary. I understand he's going to come and share for a moment, he and Pam. So. That was a home run, brother. Oh, thanks, man. We needed that 40 years ago. Thank you for that awesome, Amen. awesome message, brother. And thanks to you and Patty being here for such a time as this. Yeah. Our joy. Well, we're still on sabbatical, actually, and uh, we will be until... Uh, end of April. And uh, we were seeking the Lord. And actually, it's not complicated. It's very simple. Uh, the Lord has spoken to us and started revealing even last year that our season was over at Grace Tabernacle. And we say that with tears and love in our heart because you're all we talk about. <laughs> we're, we love you. You're precious to us. We're thankful that God has allowed us uh, to, uh, even without having the knowledge how to start a church, almost 21 years ago, he used us. And Terry, where's Terry? He's gone already. Nope. Oh, he went to lunch already. No. <laughs> if it wasn't for you, brother, God used you in such a great way. Man, I, I didn't have one clue about starting the church, and God used you in a mighty, mighty way. We've had such, we got such history. Man, we got stories to tell. It's awesome. It's awesome. But the, the, the bottom line is, I don't know if, you know, I, I started to think about starting some rumors, you know, like a pastor ran off with a secretary or something, and... But uh, I have too much of the fear of Pam in me for that, so uh, fear of God. But no, uh, our, it's just very simple. We heard God that our season's over, and we have resigned our position. So uh, the Lord's going to send you. That's what your target needs to be. God, send the next uh, pastor, the shepherd, uh, that you want for Grace Tabernacle. He's got something for you. He's got something different from us, to, for us too. You know, our hope is, uh, has been for some time to move closer to our grandchildren up in Tennessee somewhere. And if the Lord wills, that's, that's what we do. We want to move with the cloud, Amen. you know. But we began with blessing and we want to end with blessing. You want to say something? No. Okay. <laughs> my, I always remember my favorite scripture, just so you never forget, the founding pastor's favorite scripture. Women ought to be silent in the church. Now that's for home. <laughs> no, I want to leave with blessing. We want to leave with blessing. And um, you are near and dear to us. We'll see, see you again from time to time. But, but for now, it's important for us to separate from the church. So the new pastor, whoever God leads here, can come in and we're not sitting out there. When you leave, you need to leave. And we're going to do that graciously and with the love of God and be praying for you. And we want to pray for the leadership. Uh, would the board members just please stand where you are, please? We want to
to bless you and pray for you. I want to thank you. I know there's more. Renee, are you the only one? Who else? No, there's Joe Ferrar. Hey, Joe Ferrar. This is Renee Brew, Joe Ferrar, and Anthony. There's Anthony. There's Brenda Horan, and John is, I don't see John. Oh, hey, John. How could I miss you? You're tall. You're right there. We want to pray for you, and we have been praying for you, that God give you wisdom, and, and especially like today, the, the, the wisdom of the Lord to, to go flow with the cloud. Let God lead you. Let God help give you the mind of Christ. God has a way of doing things. It's different from the world. And we just want to pray for you. God bless this board. They're, they're new at this. This is new uncharted territory for them. And we just pray, God, you blessing rest upon them, that you would guide them with the love of God in their hearts, and that they would have ears to listen and let you lead them. And we just bless you. We love you. We're going to continue to pray for you all, every one of you. We have nothing against any of you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, uh, elders, would you please stand just briefly? All the elders, okay? Oh, dear ones, we love you too. You're so precious. This is your leadership, the board and as well as the uh, elders, and you need to pray for them. You must realize as a church, they don't get paid a dime to do what they do. There's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears that go on behind the scenes uh, to lead a church. So you need to pray for your, for your leaders and love them and support them in prayer because they're awesome people. And uh, we've had a lot of great times together. So we want to bless you too. We pray the blessing of the Lord rest upon you. As the name Grace Tabernacle is over this covering, this building, and this family, we pray that you be led by grace and peace, that you be led with the Spirit of the Lord, and that when people see you, they see Jesus, Amen. and that your wisdom and counsel will come from him. We just pray the blessing of the Lord rest upon you. May you fulfill your assignment and your purposes here. Amen. Now, if the congregation would all stand. You know, blessings are important. The Bible told uh, Moses uh, that this is really what you need to do. Tell Aaron, the high priest, today that would be Jesus, to bless the people with words and these words. And we leave you with a blessing. And we say to you, oh, thank you. Oh, oh thank you, sweetheart. That's beautiful. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you so much. Uh, just lift your hands, would you? It's the Lord who blesses, but he uses people sometimes to get the blessing through words. Now may the Lord bless you. May you know you're blessed. May you know you're favored. May you know you're special. May you know you are his beloved. And may the Lord keep you. May you know his divine protection wherever you go. There is no devil or demon in hell that's stronger than God. God's eyes upon you. He's your great shepherd. He's your protector. He's your provider. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Draw near to God. Experience intimacy with him like you've never, be, never had before. And keep you and bless you and keep you and protect you. And may he give you grace and peace to be the people of grace, the people of God, wherever you are. You have an assignment upon your life, and that is to represent Jesus. Let him live his life through you, as you've heard so eloquently today. And we bless you with peace. We leave you with peace, and we love you all. And if we don't see you anymore here, we'll see you in heaven one day. It's going to be awesome. You know, amen. And by the way, 2023 was a year called the year of completion. I don't know if you remember that. The year of 2024 is the year of the open door. The best days of your life are before you. The best days of Grace Tabernacle are before you. We believe that. So we're praying for you and expect to hear great things. And, and uh, I'm trying to get you to say something, but you don't want to say it. <laughs> we love you dearly. We're, uh, I think we're going to have some cake. and uh, Oh, okay. And then afterwards, we're going to clean out our offices and could use a few guys that are, have strong backs and weak minds to come help us. And, huh? Oh, you got some? Okay, thank you so much. Come on, boy, Alice. Yeah.
the elders come up? Pastor Gary and Pastor Pam, we're representing the body of Christ here at Grace Tabernacle to honor you. We have been blessed beyond measure with God anointing you and giving the impartation of his word each week to us. Through you, Pastor Gary, God has ministered and matured us to grow in intimacy with our Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Over the past 20 years, we don't know the exact amount, but hundreds of souls will be seen in heaven because of your weekly invitation Amen. to receive Jesus as their Savior, and that's what it's all about. Amen. Leadership is about being a light, inspiring, and preparing the body for such a time as this, and you have done that. You have taught us that this is God's church, and we can always trust in the Lord now for our futures and for your future. And the Lord would say, well done to both you and Pam, my good and faithful servants. I do know, Pastor Gary and Pam, that your next season will begin with rest and then one of adventure. The Lord gave me a word for you. I am the God of creativity, and I have plans for your new season far beyond your imagination. It is power, pioneering time. It is time for you to enter the unknown. Time to take my hand and follow me. Come with me, Gary and Pam. Love your heavenly Father. We thank you both for your gift of ministry to us for over these 20 years plus. We love you. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Anthony? If everybody just take a seat one moment, we won't keep you long. Wow. Yeah. Good morning, Grace Tabernacle. Uh, my name is Anthony. I'm one of the board of directors, and uh, I drew the small straw this morning so I get a chance to get up and speak. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just wanted to say, I want, to, I want you to allow me to give you just a little bit of history that will interest you. Over two years ago, uh, Pastor Gary appointed a board of directors, and one of his goals was to get things in order for him to get ready to eventually retire. So today, we want to say thank you. We want to say thank you to Grace Tabernacle as well, to all the people, because it's of your generosity, the board of directors, with the input from the elders have put together a very generous retirement package for them. I believe when Pastor Gary and Pam adjust to their new season, they're gonna love it. And I believe they're gonna ask themselves, why didn't I do this sooner? <laughs> we love them and we will continue to pray for them, wishing the best for their future. You may ask, what's next? I'm sure you're out here this morning saying, what's next? As you know, Mike Atkins is, will be with us uh, the rest of the month of January, and what a dynamic, awesome job he's done here this morning. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. In February, we have uh, Rick and Rebecca Porterfield, who preached here on December 31st, have agreed to come and fill in as our interim pastors, just for a short time, while groups of people pray and they search for a new full-time spirit-filled pastor. Then when the group agrees on the selection, you will have the opportunity to vote on the next pastor of GT. So we'll keep you updated as, as things go on. And I'm just asking, would you stand with me now? We just encourage you to stay today. There's cake out front and celebrate with Pastor Gary and Pam. Uh, also, uh, we just want to say this, the song that Terry sung this morning, it really stuck in my spirit. Uh, words says, and who am I to decide what the Lord has done? Amen. He's not done with me yet. 
Grace Tabernacle, he's not done with us yet. Amen? He's not done with Pastor Gary and Pam yet. And he's definitely not done with us. He's got a bright future for us. So let us just bow our hands, lift our hands towards Pastor Gary and Pam, and let's pray. Father, we thank you for all you've done. We thank you because you have never failed us. We know that you're not done with us yet, Lord. Our trust is in you. So we ask you to, for divine direction. We ask you for protection. We ask you to lead us, to guide us. And we give your name all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. And the house said, Amen. Amen. God bless you today.